Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show with myself, Roy Shanahan, Neil Dobbs and Mr. David Bugle. And Dave, there's only one place to start and that's with the Champions League final. Real Madrid winning Europe's most prestigious competition for a 14th time by that single goal. When you look back at it now, how do you reflect on that game? Uh, I'll give me very quick bullet points. Uh, Ronnie Whelan's insufferable. <laughs> uh, Michael Owen is on a par with him. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's jaw is on a is on the same wavelength as Ferguson's because how he can still talk after tune as he does <laughs> for ninety minutes is beyond me. Uh, we have to stop the old pre-game thing. Kavia Cabello was awkward and she bitched about it and then had to delete her tweet because she was disappointed with the fans singing when she was performing. Uh, you know some funny stuff and then when all is said and done, no matter what. They create new stats like XG, which you know I love. There's only one stat that matters, regardless of what even us scouts might say about the performance or whatever. There's only one that matters, and that's the scoreline. And uh, therefore, there's only one winner, no matter how 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 well they perform. Um, so yeah, a very strange one considering. Can't complain that Liverpool didn't show up, but yeah, just obviously disappointed that we didn't uh, get a couple of chances. And of course, Courtois had a, had an absolute blinder, and I'm surprised none of the clickbait lads have come out today and said he's the best keeper in the world because you know the way they like to do that after after one match. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure we will soon enough. Yeah, how did you see the game as it as it panned out, Dave? Because for <laughs> yeah. me, when I watched the first half, I was I was convinced that Liverpool are far too strong yeah. for these. They're dominating. They're all over them. It, yeah. it, it was just it was, it was just sit back. There was three up front for Real Madrid. The other seven yeah. sat back uh, deep enough yeah. and, and just sort of took it all in. I, I was saying, how are they going to win this game? Like, yes, if they get an opportunity, but they didn't look like getting that opportunity in the first half. No, um, and it, it, it reminded me a little bit when we played Barcelona a few years ago. It's just great to watch for that first 20 minutes, half an hour, Liverpool making who you would deem to be a very technical team who love to pass around and play the, the pretty way, make them look very ordinary, make them to go very long, make them fluff their lines a little bit. And it was brilliant to watch, but Neil would probably agree with me. After half an hour, it's getting to that point going, yeah, this is where Liverpool, when we don't kind of get that goal, we'll give away a chance and the fear will kick in and you go 1-0 down and then we can chase the game. So when you dominate like that, you know yourself, mate, no matter what no matter what type of game it is, whether it's first game of the season or last game of the season, when you play like that, you need to get the goals at the right time. And unfortunately, they didn't. Um, and that fear was coming in. Obviously, the, the goal before halftime, whether we all agree or not agree, whether it's a goal or not, you know, that type of chance, it was messy. And then, obviously, it was a fantastic pass into Vinicius. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of chances themselves, but you always felt that they would get one. And with the likes of your Benzema's in the, in the form that he's in and even Vinicius that they would take theirs by Liverpool a bit like the other two finals had a lot of ball created a lot of chances but there, there wasn't that many where you'd kind of go where you'd ruin the chance if you know what I mean so it was a bit weird so where they were a little bit tighter in the final third compared to a normal league game it remains to be seen but yeah after that half an hour when we were really all over them and it looked like there was only one winner eventually you were waiting for the response back from Madrid and that's when the fear kicked in for me and for me and it, it proved to be uh, decisive in the end. Yeah, we'll come back to the goal that wasn't a goal because I do want to discuss that. Yeah. Neil, when you look at the shots, total shots, Liverpool 24, 4 for Real Madrid, 
Uh, they have it down as big chances three so three out of those four chances for Real Madrid were big chances and one was for Liverpool but possession I thought possession was going to be a little bit more it was 54-46 in Liverpool's favour but that just shows you how the second half uh, turned around again your thoughts on, on, on the game how it developed and Liverpool, what happened that they kind of fizzled out? Was it Real Madrid coming into it, starting to, you know, take control maybe after a team talk and a half time? Or, or, or did Liverpool just fizzle out? Yeah, it was just interesting to hear Dave's views because <clears throat> I haven't talked to a lot of people today about it, I guess. But um, I think pre match, Roy, when it was, people were kind of, I was down the pub for uh, the beginning of it and people were like, oh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? And, I don't know why I, I thought there was going to be a couple of goals, maybe one or mm. two goals each. And I thought there was going to be a little bit more open. I definitely knew that they were going to sit back. They were going to hit on the counter. But I just felt that my kind of, un, you know, my overriding feeling was that Chelsea let them away. City let them away. But mm. Liverpool are more clinical up top. They'll, they'll punish them and they'll eventually get in behind. Now, I didn't realise that Liverpool, and I thought they were really, really good in the opening half. I thought they created enough and they just should have, they just needed to get that first goal in. Didn't get it. And then as Dave said, that the fear kicks in. It's a final, it's a one-off. And all a little amalgamation of the little things just played into Real's hands. But um, I thought they were really, really poor. Like, really, really poor. I thought they showed better against Chelsea, in particular in the second leg. Um, mm. I thought they were better against City over maybe both legs, even though I thought City should have been out of sight. So that was my kind of general feeling that Liverpool won't make that mistake. They'll just put them away. They were brilliant for 45, really good, dominated them, pinned them in. But just, it's like a boxer that doesn't have that knockout blow. You know that way <laughs> he's risking as the game goes on, getting caught with the counter punch or getting caught by something, you know. And I don't know, look, I... I, I, I put it on my Facebook last night because I genuinely believe it. I probably still do now. I'm bitter about it. I'm really, really bitter that I thought Liverpool did more than enough, showed more than enough. And on the other side of the fence, I think Madrid showed nothing, like very, very little, other than, and let's, let's be honest, the resilience to take what they did off Chelsea, the mentality to take what they did off City, and then to go into a final and do what they did. It, it, it pains me to say I tip my hat to them and I have to tip my hat to them but you know it's a hard feeling this morning waking up and not winning that game after the way you play after 90 minutes uh, I kind of had nailed this conversation about the European Conference League and, and Mourinho someone put up you know crap football pathetic football you know this highly defensive football mm-hmm. wins uh, it's a disgrace and all this sort of stuff and I kind of went in and, and had me say about it that I just think you know why should the perceived good football be the plan that everyone goes with there seems to be a peer pressure for teams to have to go out and play football in the right way um, I don't think I'd like to see uh, football with one way of winning and I think Real Madrid last night and I think of course, Rome against Feyenoord. Feyenoord, who had all the, the prettiest football that you could see, pressing, uh, you know, getting on the ball, moving the ball, shifting from right, right to left, but never had any end product. Is it a case that, you know, you, that's if you're Liverpool are, are, are that good, you break down a team and you, 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 you win these games, you can't expect other teams to come out because just that, that suits you. 
Yeah, no, do you know what it is, right? Look, at the end of the day, I'm a football supporter, but I'm also a manager. I'm also a coach, and I do my badges, and at grassroots, you know, you, you, you like to compete with teams regardless of what way they play, play out from the back or lovely style of football. And it becomes a little bit cliche, I think, sometimes to go, oh, you need to play from the back and you need to play beautiful football. But as a football kind of realist, and maybe even in the earlier years when we played, there's more than one way to win a game and there's more than one way to win a league and there's more than one way, you know, it doesn't always have to be, let, let's put Pep Guardiola and the way he plays if he won every year, which at the minute he more or less is, but if he won every year playing the way he does because he's the best players playing the most attractive football, it would be horrible in the long run because you want to know, you know, the Leicesters out there, that the underdogs can beat a team like that. So you don't have a divine right, be it was Pep's old Barcelona team or be it now a City team, to win everything. And I think people find it satisfying when City get knocked out, maybe regardless of rivalries, because not always should you win by playing the best football or the most attractive football. And Liverpool have no divine right to that either. Klopp always alludes to it in his interviews when Liverpool lose a game that, oh, they didn't really play great football. They launched the ball. He did it a little bit with Spurs and then backtracked. And he kind of alluded to it last night saying, look, you know, we were the better team. It just doesn't guarantee it that you will win that title or win that season or win that cup or whatever it may be. But I'm in favour of that because, you know, I coach and I, I, I practice at grassroots. I would hate to think that the best football and ability team will always override hard determination and maybe a good game plan. So I'm okay with that. But bear in mind, at the end of the day, last night, I'm a Liverpool supporter. They played the best football, great attitude, all that. And yet, look, they came away empty-handed. So it's just disappointment and bitterness but you can't knock Madrid for playing the way they did they set out the way they did to be a superior team but in a different manner so I, I can't knock them for it Dave Liverpool haven't scored in three cup finals what does that say? Mm. Yeah I, I genuinely think they're like watching them all season and pretty much every single game in the three games you to watch them again because Obviously, I'm not going to sit here with 100% conviction. The chances they create, apart from that one sitter, I can't remember, against Chelsea in the FA Cup, and you think, Christ, it's not going to happen today. Like, they weren't guilt-dead chances. We did get in behind a bit. I just thought in the final tour, we were just a little bit tighter, um, and a lot more were getting blocked, or we were t- just taking that extra touch. Like, even Courtois, like a fantastic save off Salah, there was still a good portion of that goal still there to be taken. So, as much as it was an amazing save. Salah helped him out a bit as well. I thought it was very close. Though. But the one thing I noticed last night, and I put it up on the Scouser WhatsApp group because it was a bit safer, but um, I wanted to know if Diaz seen it or if you've seen it. I think Diaz is injured. I think he stayed on a lot longer than he should have. He looked like he was hobbling a bit and he just looked like he was walking around a bit. And I noticed that after about 15 minutes, he went down and just was a bit gingerly. And I thought to myself, you're playing for yourself now. and You should be, you, you should be off. He was very ineffective for most of the game because of it, I think. And I'd love to see it again and watch it again because that's what it looked like to me. Um, and he came off when he did, but I think he should have put himself off if, if that's because that's what it looked like to me. And one or two of the other lads thought the same. So I just don't know whether you've seen that, but I genuinely thought he was a bit gingerly for, for most of that game, especially I think it was after about between 10 and 15 minutes, there was a bit of a challenge. He went down and kind of had a little hobble, but then just didn't seem to have it back again and looked a bit 
just as I said, look a bit gingerly and, and when you start to annoy me going, people probably need to go because it's not about you, mate. It's about the team, you know? And uh, we can't carry anyone. And where they carrying people? No, I, I, I didn't really notice that. No, I could because I thought yeah. he, did, he did, did all right at times, but I, I there were certain people. I mean, if you look at the, the lads who were supposedly carrying injuries beforehand and were a doubt, Van Dyke, Fabinho, Thiago, and now you're mm. saying Diaz, Dave, how how do you feel that they played? How did did they stand out that they they did something special? Um. I think everyone was decent enough. I thought Arnold was a bit better than he was in the in the last game of the season. He definitely looked like he was brought in too early. He didn't look right for most of the 90 minutes last week. Um, I thought one, one or two of his usual passes were a little bit tighter than usual and maybe that's down to um, fitness as well. As well. So I, I thought he was a bit similar to last week but I thought he had a bit more legs in him this week. And he is an important part of a, of, of a second play and I can understand why you need to risk him. Same with Thiago but I don't think there was anyone that really stuck out for me that I had to kind of have a go or have a pop at, to be honest. Um, because Liverpool, whether we like it or not, like it doesn't matter. Madrid won, but Liverpool, I think overall, were the better side and overall kind of played the better uh, and were the stronger side. But as I said, there's only one stat that matters and that's the scoreline. Um, and I know it's a bit weird to say that. So really, obviously, Canate gets a lot of praise for some of his defensive play, which is fantastic. But to me, I just, I'd love to watch it again. I think he has um, something happened to him after 10 or 15 minutes and I think he uh, he should have been a bit more of a, a team player in my opinion and, and I'm not trying to say it to be controversial I'd love to see it again because I genuinely he, he looked gingerly to me and I was starting to watch him more than the game because it was annoying me because you know it's all about getting their hands on the trophy and, and not whether you can play 90 minutes or not Yeah Neil I, I, I thought, I thought uh, Diaz sorry, was, yeah. I thought Diaz was decent in the first half I thought he he, he did well he, he was non-existent in the 20 minutes or so he was in the second half. Did you see that that made you think that he was injured? Yeah, so it's funny you say that actually. We were watching it because my young lad's a fullback now. He's a left full, but I always get him to watch the fullbacks and we'd have a little conversation. But I was saying to him pre-game, I was very worried about Trent versus Vinicius. But I thought mm-hmm. they did very well with Vinicius as in they brought Hendo out to the right and they had Canate on there for the pace and I thought they, as a trio, they dealt very well with him. But on the flip side, I thought Ferland Mendy and in particular Carvajal, I thought Carvajal had an unbelievable game. I think he boxed in Diaz. He absolutely battered him. He didn't allow him overrun him. When Diaz tried to rotate him and bring him inside, Carvajal just seemed to have his number. Now, like Dave, I don't think I I felt that Diaz was carrying. At the time, Mm. my explanation, my own head was that I just thought Carvajal had his number and it didn't really change. Um, and the same thing with Mendy. I thought Mendy had Salah's number and Salah was so quiet. Like he was non-existent for a lot, large parts, although he had the bigger chances. But I thought Diaz was kept in his box by Carvajal. It was an impressive performance. Um, and it just shows how good, you know, Real were defensively that Diaz has been electric and no one has been able to kind of box him in. But I thought he did a very, very good job on him. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Sadio Mane because it's come out today. He talked about it before the game the other day that there'd be a, a decision about his future after the game. He's come out on uh, Senegal TV saying that he wishes the team and the fans the best of luck. And it looks like he's signing off to go to Bayern Munich. Nothing's official out yet, but it, the, the signs are there. Fabrizio Romero has discussed it and expects him to leave Anfield. So, Dave... 
obviously you don't want to leave a player like Mane. Is Louise the man who just swaps like for like? Is he is he good enough to do that? Do they need to look at someone else? What's your thoughts? Interesting enough, yeah. I, I, I watched bits of the parade just to see was there was there anyone out there in fairness. Most of the scouts from Liverpool are out there, but the only person who I can't see on the bus is Sadio Mane. Now, if he's there, he's there, but he's hiding. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to see that. And then one of the guys on LFC TV said something like that there is discussions with nothing's been confirmed by Liverpool, but there is discussions. And I think it's a case of they're just looking for a few quid more from Bayern Munich. There was a rumour of 30 million, but they're trying to get up to the 40 million mark. And if, and if Liverpool are good at anything, it's buying players on the cheap, but also selling players for a little bit more than, than what they get. So it it looks it looks very much like a done deal. And as I said, I can't see him on, on any of the pictures. Um, if he has the straightforward answer, absolutely not. Not yet. He still needs to prove himself. I think he's been fantastic, and I think he's been a great addition. But I'm going to be a little bit spicy here. His end product, certainly more in setting up for other people, uh, needs to improve because anytime he cuts in, it's really with only one thing in mind, and that themselves. Um, like at least Salah has stepped up this year. And as much better on the assist than he, than he usually is. Now, being greedy is great, but at the same time, you know, you need to get your head up once in a while. And I've just noticed in the last three or four weeks that when Diaz does play as great as he can do all the headline grabbing stuff, when he beats that player, he's kind of trying to pull the trigger all the time and there's better options. So obviously, I'd like to think that the coaching staff will get a handle of that. But um, is he going to be the straightforward answer, uh, straightforward replacement? He's the best chance. And the early signs are great and just hopefully it improves uh, into the new season. So it'll be interesting now with this Carvalho, he might definitely be delighted with what's happening with Manny going, that he might get a bit more game time. But the starting yeah. front three next year, will it be Jota now in the middle with Diaz on the left and Salah on the right? Remains to be seen because obviously Origi's going now, so it'll be Firmino and Carvalho now as the kind of subs potentially, or Firmino might come back in. So Manny and Origi going, all of a sudden that front line isn't quite as potentially formidable as it has been. Yeah, Neil, do you think... Diaz came in because there was a hint that Mane may have been gone and, and this is all preconceived. Um, Jota, it's, it's odd because since Diaz came in, Jota's been pushed back out of the, the reckoning and he was the one keeping them going over the Christmas period and before that. Yeah, it, it, you know what it is, Roy? I always feel when you move a guy into another person's position and that was Mane into Firmino's position, you're you're kind of moving him out of his natural left. Like let's be honest, no one was ever going to out Sadio Mane as the left winger uh, for Liverpool, and then they moved him inside. That kind of spelt the end for Mane for me that they were looking for his successor. Um, Jota, on the other hand, and I, I've had this conversation many a lot in the last few weeks. I still think that Diaz, Jota, and Mane, their best position is wide left. All three of them. I don't think either of them are um, as in for a full season can give you centre forward. Uh, in the middle uh, Ma- uh, and Salah obviously is the natural right side so for Liverpool's perspective A they need to secure Mane now or sorry Salah now that Mane is gone or going um, it felt a little bit more natural that Diaz comes in now and the impact he's had and the way he started for Mane so I'm okay with that but I still feel Jota's best position is possibly wide left so it leaves a question mark from Klopp to say, yeah, I'm okay that I have Firmino to come back in and I think I can get another kind of a, a trough from him that you're not going to let him fall off, that he will be the guy. But if not, they need to bring somebody else in there. And that's one of the hardest positions to fill in world football. Just ask anyone trying to sign Harry Kane. So it, it does worry me for a different reason insofar as 
you look at the way Mane picked up the baton since Christmas. When he came back from AFCON, he came back on a high and he really drove that team on. He's been a leader, not just this season, 2017, 18, 19. He's a leader and he takes responsibility on his shoulders. And I, I'd agree with Dave a little bit. Diaz has a long way to go end product-wise, but also mentally. Can he grab the game by the scruff of the neck like Manny would do and lead that team and get them by? When Salah wasn't firing, Manny always fired. So it's a big, big question mark and a big um, a big ask on someone like Diaz to come in there. Yep, okay. And that's Real Madrid winning the double this year. And there's been a lot of play-down talk on Real Madrid this year, but they've they've... They've gone and done and shut everyone up, I suppose. It'd be interesting to see who goes there next year. They haven't got many of the big strikers. Now Mane is going to possibly Bayern Munich. It's it's going to be interesting to see uh, who joins Real Madrid. They're always known to take a player each year. Dave, Mourinho and Roma win the Conference League. They beat Feyenoord mm-hmm. one goal to nil. I hinted at it earlier on. A lot of people were giving out about the, the style of football. Nothing new for Mourinho. It's what he did all along. I, I'm not sure why people to be giving out. It's also nothing new, Dave, in Italian football. I mean, Italian football for donkey's years since the year dot has been a very defensive yeah. type of football. So this is nothing new. Is it more, again, which I was touching on earlier on, that... Because everyone is is encouraging uh, coaching courses, you know, pundits on the telly encouraging yeah. playing out from the back and you know this freestyle and football and it's it's amazing to watch and Pep is amazing. That yes, now you look at and I, to tell you the truth, I probably wouldn't get a Roma season ticket anyhow myself. I wouldn't want to go and watch that. <laughs> We've seen enough of Trapattoni and Martin O'Neill in the Irish uh, section, so we we really wouldn't want yeah. to do that. But Roma get their first ever European trophy and they're not going to complain, are they? No, and if anything, I'm grateful for the likes of Mourinho and I'm grateful for the likes of Rafa Benitez and the way they play. Because if they didn't play the way they did 15, 20 years ago, I don't think you'd see a lot of the 4-3-3 football that we see now and all they're attacking. Because it was the only way to counteract that uh, football that was successful way the way it was back in the day. Now, obviously, Mourinho has to kind of reinvent himself a little bit in every other club because that's the style that is he, he's been famous for and what he knows inside out. But it's a lot harder for him to be successful now because eventually the, 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 it's been worked out. But at the same time, now the fact that 4-3-3 and the attacking style is now the, 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 the allegedly successful way, teams are obviously studying that and seeing, right, where can we poke the holes? And if anyone can do that, that's Jose Mourinho because... Um, He's always been a master. He's always been, and certainly been a master at one-off games and tactics and how to suffocate teams and get them out of their comfort zone. And look what he did in the famous Gerrard slip. He had no interest in trying to win that game. It was very much what we have, we hold, frustrate them, fighting them up, and then counteract at the time. And they won 2-0 with, with relative ease in the end. And it's the same with Roman. It was the same with even Inter Milan. You know, I think Italy suits him uh, and his style of play now. And I think Italy... Uh, still embraces that type of football because obviously they love their defensive style or they love their defenders and they love their I think Catanaccio or whatever it's called I, I take it back if anyone knows what the real name is but um, yeah Italy definitely seems to suit him and they seem to enjoy him back because there's been a lot of talk listening to a few podcasts about people and, and, and there's a buzz back at Rome and there's a buzz back in, uh, in, in, in for Roma particularly and the fact that he's finally brought European success because as, as we said many a time whatever about the English teams and what they think about Europe and Conference League European football is, is, is massive for everyone else so for him to get the success that he has uh, credit to him but um, 
he suits it to Italian football and it seems to suit him. But you have to have a yank to the yank. So as much as we have all this attacking football, you need to have that those guys who are willing to go up against it. And Mourinho just loves spoiling the party and, he, and he'll do it his way and credit to him. Yep. Uh, Brian Kerr, Neil, as he would say, was doing me nothing. <laughs> um, he constantly went on about how Mourinho... Uh, I don't know why he's running around and, and, and like as if he's won the top European trophy as the Champions League. This is, you know, the team. He started naming out the teams they beat and, you know, playing down and actually, you know, making out that this tournament is is nothing. I, I thought it was, I thought it was a bit pathetic actually by Brian Kerr. I, I, I didn't like the way he went mm. on. It's a, it's a European trophy. It's a, it's a big thing to win. Maybe you'll discuss the, the Mourinho thing as well, but just a little bit on Brian Kerr as well, because is he is he has he turned into a, a bitter little man? Yeah, he's all he's gone down the Dunphy-esque role, isn't he? Where he's mm-hmm. trying to be controversial, I think at times he's trying to get a reaction, or maybe he feels he needs to needle something or go about it a certain way. Like, look, my views are very simple in Europe, Brian. I, I think the Europa League, you know, of the last ten years you kind of say to yourself, you don't really want to be in the competition, but if you go at it and you, you kind of involve everything with your club and your fans and your fan base and everything with it, it's a really, really worthwhile competition to, to, to go for. And if you win it, it's a, it's a fantastic trophy to win. Now, you know yourself, in any team, at any age group, at any level, winning is a brilliant thing. It, you know, it brings you up a level, it brings your team together. It's You know, it's all enveloping and that's what you want. So, when you reach it, the, the final of you know Conference League, Europa League, Champions League, the object is to win. And once you win, it's a great feeling. I don't think anyone can really knock you for that. And that goes for England as well, you know, the Carabao Cup. It's only worth winning when you win it. When it's not, it's a bit of a slag and ah, it's only the old Mickey Mouse Cup. But it's great to get your hands on silverware. So I don't go with Brian Kerr over that. It's a little bit Roy Keane-ish, you know, when either guy, you know, a team... They don't get relegated and they're all in the dressing room celebrating and it's a bit that's a bit over the top, isn't it? It's not. You've avoided relegation, you're delighted, you're allowed to have a little bit of euphoria. Same thing with winning a cup of any description. If your club is in it, you're in it to win it and you're giving your full focus. To come out on the other side of that having won something is an absolute brilliant feeling. So I wouldn't mock anybody in that regard. And the fact that Mourinho, as Dave said, he might be more suitable to Italy, but the fact that he's still winning that he can still get his team to the top, you know, is, is a great indicative of the guy that's going on now quite a length of time. And, you know, I, I'd be the last person that would knock Mourinho. He is who he is and you've got to love him for who he is. Yeah, I just think Brian doesn't fancy Mourinho at all. Uh, the style of football, Mourinho's antics maybe. I just think that it's, uh, I just don't think he needed to go that far and, and, and discuss the competition and, and the other clubs that are around, especially from a fella who managed, uh, you know, the Republic of Ireland uh, in the League of Ireland and the Faroe Islands. He should understand that uh, everyone is reaching for a, a goal and uh, for Roma, this was a huge thing for them uh, and it would have been the same for Feyenoord. Okay, Neil, I'm going to stick with I you. I think it's fair to say, Roy, sorry, just on that, bit, I think Brian Kerr had a little nudge of that around Stephen Kenny as well where he had a little niggle yeah. that he mm. felt he was getting too much time in the job. So there's something about, I think you rule Brian Kerr up the wrong way, maybe uh, there's a lasting effect there, you know. Yeah, um, Neil, I'll stay with you. Notts Forest are back in the Premier League. I think it's something like 22 years since they've been in the Premier League. Again, I've heard this absolute nonsense. Oh, it's great that they're back in. It's been too long for Notts Forest. We'll all, we're all delighted to see them back in. I I only think that 
if you get back in, it's fair play to any team to get back in. If it's their first time, it's if it's if it's their third time in a row, uh, getting back up, you know. But not Forest for you. Uh, is it great to see them get back up? I mean, they could easily go up there and get whooped and be one of the worst teams the Premier League has ever seen, and no one will give a damn. Yeah, well, the first thing I seen stat wise was that not Forest have won more uh, champion, well, not Champions League, Europa or European titles than Manchester City. So they've great pedigree bringing back to the Premier League. <laughs> so uh, from that point of view, fair play to them. There's a bit of royalty recovering. Look, listen, anyone that gets in through the back door, as I call it, you know, the, the, the playoffs, Roy, you don't know what way it's going to go. Like, you know, you look at this year, the way Brentford come up and, you know, they, they took the league by storm and then they had a real rough patch. That could be for us next year. You literally don't know. Sheffield United kind of ring a bell on that one as well. That They bounce up to the Premier League. They're brilliant for a while. But then that kind of harsh reality and the, the, you know, the punishing effect of the Premier League kicks in, and the next thing you know, they're struggling, and you worry about them. But look, if they get, if they've gotten up, and uh, they'll be a breath of fresh air. I hope they'll attack it in the right manner, and they'll add a little bit of something. And again, I'll go back to the Brentford thing. If they bring a little bit of that aspect to the league, you'll be happy. Now, whether they survive or not, whether they can recruit, um, recruit people that will enable them to stay. That's probably for another day, but it is nice to get a fresh face in there. Someone that, you know, only drop out, you get Forrest, hopefully a little bit more pleasing on the eye. And uh, yeah, look, you, you wish them all the success and hopefully that that's a, a stepping stone for them to establish themselves again in the Premier League. Yep. Dave, Ralph Ranjek has left Manchester United. He hasn't... <laughs> He has decided not to go near the consultancy role, even though he had started it. Uh, we believed that there was a couple of four players actually that he was uh, putting out there for Manchester United, maybe to purchase over the, the summer months. But he has left. He's going mm-hmm. to the Austrian job. He said it takes it's going to take up too much of his time. Uh, let's you can discuss that, I suppose, but you can also discuss how do you feel he did in the job that he was asked to do. Uh, probably as good as he could. I think uh, the bubble had burst, um, so whoever came in was screwed. But then again, I don't think United helped him with the whole, he's going to be in, then he may take the job, he might not take the job. He'll definitely be in the background if he doesn't take the job. And it was like all these different permutations. So if anything, there was confusion from the start. So because of the setup and the offer, it probably started him on the wrong foot with the players. And he obviously tried to make a few changes in the style. Um, he, it's a big, big risk to do. I think you're better off sticking with what they are and then make little tweaks and just kind of coax them into playing a slightly different way and don't make wholesale changes from the get-go because they're a lazy bunch of a shower, which we now know. So to try and get them to do what you see the likes of your Liverpool's and Tuchel's type of sides play straight from the get-go is not going to happen. You need to put in some hard work and hey, we're not interested. So from the get-go it was almost designed to fail um, but would I be critical with him mm, to an extent yes but also to an extent no because it, it's just it, there's an awful group there who just haven't done much to help him but I think it's the right move because you know if him and Ten Hag don't get on that makes it very very awkward and a very very awkward atmosphere if he was his number one choice and they knew each other beforehand maybe he might have stuck around but the fact that there was no real relationship beforehand I think it would have been a bit of a recipe for disaster because if Ten Hag didn't agree to certain things or would Rannick want to get rid of more than what he wants because of previous six months it is probably the wisest thing that he he steps down and moves on because that kind of relationship could make it very awkward uh, moving forward but for him 
I think we'll just write it off. Uh, I wouldn't be overly critical of him. I just think it was potentially doomed from the start with with the with the appointment and how it how it went about its business about what was going to happen at the end of the season, which no one knew, and whether he's in or whether he's out, and whether he was going to go up, up above or not. So um, yeah, it, ultimately it was a failure, but um, potentially it was inevitable. Neil, I was saying to you earlier on off air, I'm hoping that this is a sign of clearing up the mess that, as, as Dave has talked mm. about there, cleaning up the mess that has been there since, well, we can go back a long way, I suppose. But what do you reckon? Do you do you think that this is, is a positive thing for Manchester United or, or do you think this is more of a mess? Um, my first feeling reading the article, Roy, that's why I sent it on to you, was that Ranjik now has been in the job a number of months. He's seen, I would say, Jesus, you know, he's been at nearly rock bottom or rock bottom, whatever rock bottom gets for Man United these days. But it just went from worse to worse to worse. I, I didn't really think he was going to do a whole lot more than Solskjaer did. But I think the level of kind of, you know, furore that surrounded Man United since he's moved in, I think they've dropped to new lows under Ralph Ranjik. And I think he's been very privy to how that's happened and what the dressing room is like. So my only kind of feeling would be before he goes, if he was to go, whether he went upstairs, look, a lot of people go upstairs in clubs and they're unheard of and it just is what it is. I always thought Rannick was coming in to kind of do the Red Bull scenario where they're going to identify players and a structure and help the manager. Fine, that hasn't worked out now. But I think the very least that needs to happen before he goes is that he gives, you know, and I would hope this would happen, whether Ten Hag kind of wants it or not, but he should definitely be some sort of an agreement between the two where they sit down and Rania gives him the kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in the dressing room, what he thinks of the players. There should definitely be, I would almost say, a Mourinho-esque profile. I know he used to do it back in the day of the players, what it is like, what the kind of clicks are, what the issues are before he walks out the door. Because I always thought that's what he was kind of hired to do. Go in, evaluate, figure out what's going on and then leave some sort of report, be it before he goes upstairs or be it before he passes Ten Hag. So Ten Hag was interviewed by Sky Sports and he basically said, you know, he was coy there saying, but he's like, it's part of my analysis to hear what Ralph has to say, but I draw my own line. Now, I'm okay with that, but I definitely think he should be, I'm not saying forced or made, but he should be sitting down with, with Ranić saying, right, give me your views. Whether he wants to take my line or not, fine. But before you draw a line under what I would say a very dark kind of six months of Man United's history, definitely give the kind of pass down of what's happened and your own feeling of what he feels, whether Ten Hag takes it on or not, because I think that should have been part of the kind of, you know, the checklist before he would have left that position. Yeah, it kind of sounds to me, Neil, that the whole consultancy role was a made-up thing. They hadn't a clue what they were doing. They didn't know what manager they wanted to bring in. They felt under pressure to get rid of Solskjaer, but they had no plan at all whatsoever. So when they offered him a consultancy role, it was nearly just to get him on board. So there probably wasn't even a plan for that for when a new manager came in. And they probably hadn't even got a new manager in their minds at that time. So it's uh, it's kind of stumbled their way to June. And once Ten Hag came in, it kind of sounds like this to me. I'm not certain, but he sounds like he's someone who has said, listen, I want X, Y, and Z, and uh, ABC won't be part of this, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is uh, collateral damage on the whole thing. And I'm just hoping, hoping against maybe hope, that this is a, a big clean-up uh, by Ten Hag as well. Okay, we're going to have a little bit of transfer news. 
Okay, Bayern Munich have said today that uh, Robert Lewandowski is not for sale, but the Mar- the Bayern Munich striker said it is hard to say that I will play for Bayern next season. And Fabrizio Romero again has uh, said that he's not expecting them to stay. He's expecting a three-year deal at Barcelona. So, Dave, your thoughts on that? Barcelona, the likes of Barcelona, and especially the Italian clubs, seem to like to get the oldies in. Yeah, it's, it probably seems to be the model because they can't obviously financially compete, as we now know, with the heavyweights in, in, in England and obviously Paris Saint-Germain. Um, although... Uh, Real Madrid now have about 200 million born in a hole in their pocket so they're going to blow it somewhere else seeing as they're not getting Mbappe but I presume that's where it's coming from and obviously the position that Barcelona are in they can't compete and get the likes of Mbappe and Haaland at the moment so they have to try and get that kind of guy who might still have a bit uh, of fuel in the tank um, and interestingly enough just to add to that um, Mane, Bayern, uh, Barcelona, Lewandowski and Liverpool have apparently made inquiries for Usman Dembele so that could be another addition to Liverpool. And then if that happens and then Manny goes to Bayern, all of a sudden that could free up this whole um, Lewandowski to Barcelona. So it's very real, especially if Manny is realistically going to to um, to Bayern Munich because they might play in, in more central than uh, uh, in replacement of Lewandowski. So it could very, very easily happen. But I'd say it's purely financial is the ultimate reason why Barcelona are going for somebody like Lewandowski. They would have liked it. They like to try and get youth and they like to try and get some of the younger guys, ironically enough, like Dembele. So I think it's just their current situation that that's, that's why they, they, they go for these type of players. And exactly like um, in Italy, like Juventus do very well, but it's all free transfers because they can't compete with the heavyweights in England and, and, and PSG at the minute. Okay. Neil Ivan Perisic will be in London next week together with his agents in order to undergo medical tests. It looks like he'll join them on a two-year deal. So... What does this mean for other players, the likes of uh, Lucas Moura and Bergwijn? Yeah, um, I think if um, if Conte is after a specific guy and Perisic seems to be his go-to guy, that yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it, it, it fluffs someone else out of a position. But um, you know, he's named the target. I think Conte has been fairly shrewd in the one or two signings that he's brought in. Um, he's gone for experience he's gone for a guy with a good profile uh, what is he 33 34-ish maybe yeah so that's going to be an interesting one that does he have what it takes for the Premier League yada yada so we'll get to see that next year but um, it could be a shrewd move you can't knock Conte I think he knows kind of the one or two areas that he wants to improve um, he obviously knows about Perisic from Inter Milan he knows what he's at so yeah an interesting move. It'd be good to see him in the Premier League, kind of what he's all about. You watch him for Croatia quite a bit. He seems to be a good character, a good leader, and um, you know, good solid uh, head and shoulders. So thirty three years of age, Neil. Yeah, you know, thirty three years of age. Yeah, like is he going to make the impact that he hopes in in the Premier League at this stage? It's a two year deal, right? So I mean, look, thirty three. What are they saying? It's the new thirty eight. <laughs> you never know. It's just I think for two years, you're depending on the wages and what they're bringing them in. Let's be honest, Daniel Levy isn't going to play some guy crazy wages the way like Paris Saint-Germain or someone does. So, you know, obviously Conte has found someone that he feels will give a contribution. If you get a good year out of him, depending on the money and the fees, etc., it could come out. It could turn out well. But it it feels like a stop. A short-term solution, you know, it's not a long-term solution. You're bringing a guy 33 to your contract. You're just kind of maybe upgrading the experience and the kind of, you know, 
he could be a leader in the dressing room. We don't know, but it's obviously something that Conte wants. So you've got to trust the manager. And, you know, we've all been saying it since Spurs kind of qualified for the Champions League. They need to back the manager this year in order to get up that level. So I don't know. I'd be a little bit dubious about it, but maybe this time next year you might be saying, hey, he's after setting up so many goals for Kane and Son and he's playing well and whatnot. So it's definitely one to watch. Okay. Dave, just going back on Barcelona, they've, there has been talk that there's an agreement already made for Marcus Alonso to go to Barcelona as well. Um, I could see that because he, he was kind of in and out with uh, until Chilwell got injured. So mm-hmm. again, this is this is desperation kind of for Barcelona, trying to just, they'll still get quality, but is it better yeah. than what they are? And we all thought that maybe with Javi coming in, that they were going to get the youth of, of Barcelona in and, and yeah. change everything again. Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously Jordi Alba's still there and I don't think there's much difference in their age. If anything, I'd stick my neck out with Alba even be younger. Mm. I'm not 100% sure now he's been around for a bit. So unless he's just for cover um, or, or, or are they going to try and cash in on him, but he, you're not exactly going to get mega books for Jordi Alba. So, yeah, look, it's it's the sign of who they are at the moment. Like when you're after players on the cheap, like Lewandowski, they're a good player to be getting on the cheap. And then Marcus Alonso, so a bit of a funny one. But uh, the only reason why I'd be... The only reason, if I knew Jordi Alba was definitely going, I'd say, yeah, that's exactly why. But uh, the only thing I could think of now is just maybe a bit of extra cover, trying to uh, build up the squad a little bit to, to have a proper go next year, or trying to be respectable in Europe and obviously having a having a chance to try and get a bit closer to Real Madrid. So that's the only thing I could think of is he like fullback number two to come in from time to time to help out. Yeah. Okay. 33 years, Dave. Yeah, 33. Alonso. Jordi Alba, 33. Alonso, 31, yeah. Yeah, so there's not much difference. But I, yeah, of course, yeah, just because obviously Alba's around a lot longer. But um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a straightforward swap. I'd say it could be a bit of a sharing of the workload potentially. Okay. Um, Kante, N'Golo Kante is being considered a move to yeah. Chelsea, uh, from Chelsea to Manchester United. Now, we're at that season and that time of the year where rumours are going to be bounced all over the place, yeah. but it kind of looks kind of looks like it makes sense for Manchester United. But at the end of the year, Thomas Tuchel turned around and said that Kante was like their Mo Salah or Sadio Mane, or, or Mbappe that he was their most important player he didn't play an awful lot of game time I believe now that there, there's something about injuries that he, he he had injuries and when he was coming in to play in the bench he was playing through injuries so Dave mm. N'Golo Kante can you see that realistically happening or, do, or with these injuries that he's had could you see Chelsea offload yeah yeah, like, like, it'd be the only reason why I'd want to offload him. Mean, and he's only 31, and up until this year, like his engine has been one of his biggest assets. So maybe, maybe it's just a bit more, too uh, few too many uh, miles on the clock. So it'll be interesting to see. But if the injuries aren't as bad, I didn't take him at Liverpool for God's sake. Like Solis Kante up until this year is phenomenal. Um, so write him off at your peril, unless yes. Chelsea know what they're talking about and, they, and, and yes he's now becoming a fragile player unfortunately but that would be the only fear because whether he can still do a job uh, if he was fully fit I would and he'd be a player that going to United I'd be like yeah that's definite improvement he'd be somebody that I wouldn't want him to sign so to speak um, and I wouldn't as I said I'd take it myself but if there is a new fragility to him maybe that's the I still think it'd be a good move potentially a, a low risk 
potentially high reward for United if that's the case. But would Chelsea let him go to somebody who are trying to get to their level? Um, that would be the big one. So we'll wait and see. But uh, the only fear I'd have for him is whether he is fragile or not because he's, he's still one of the best midfielders in the world in my opinion. Yeah. Paolo Dybala, Neil, what, what have you ever made of him? Long time at Juventus. <laughs> I, I don't get him. Everyone praises him that he's something that... I, 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 very Paul Pogba-like for me, where, you know, he'll he'll do something in a flash but never really has much substance. There's talk about Roma going for him, but he, he could go anywhere now because I think he's on a free transfer. Is he, is he someone that you've admired, Neil? Uh, I wouldn't say admire him. And I, I think uh, you're, you're probably giving him a disservice by liking him to Paul Pogba because I'm pretty sure at least he turns out on the pitch every week. But uh, no, look, what's he, 28 years? Uh, he's one of these guys, and you know what it is, right? You don't get enough kind of transfer from Italy to maybe England, England to Italy. You know, you never see players in different environments. Maybe he's a guy in a different environment in a different country that might thrive. He's always highly rated. You don't get to see enough of him because you only really get to see him at Juve. So, um, I don't know what kind of fee he would command. Uh, I don't know who would be in for him. You would imagine if he was worth his salt, and we're after saying there, you know, Conte's after bringing in, um, you know, he's looking to bring in Perisic. Why isn't he looking for a guy like Dybala, a guy that he would know inside out, one of his countrymen, and yet there's no kind of mention of that kind of link. So that would worry me, just the fact that I would trust Conte's decision on that. But for Dybala, I don't know, man. I'd love to see him in another environment, someone to take a punt on him, so you can actually get to see... He, he, like, he's great hype around them. They're, they're always liking him to other stars in the Italian league over the years, but you don't ever get to see him at the highest level. So, I don't know, the jury would be out for me on that, but I'd love to see him in the Premier League just to see could he live up to that kind of hype. No. I, I would say if he went to the Premier League, it'd be Hamas Rodriguez all over again. There's no denying yeah. the guy's got something, but... As regards the Premier League, they'll eat him up and spit him out. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement. Uh, Declan Rice, Dave, we'll go with you on this one because uh, <laughs> you're you the, the biggest fan of Declan Rice or the hype that surrounded him, in fairness. Uh, yeah, the now, this At the end of this year, is he is he a player that, if you were Liverpool, that you'd want in? Who, who do you think could he go to? Or yeah. will he stay back with the Hammers and look to push on? This, he is the very interesting conundrum this year because uh, I've had the chat about it before with a few people and where if I was a buddy of his where would I almost advise him to go or whatever he could go to anybody I think he is good enough he's been brewing nicely but this year without a shadow of a doubt he has very much stepped up at this age of his career you want to see players step up like a bit like what we've alluded to a few times you've got Neil about the looks of Curtis Jones yeah you've been in the side for a few years now it's time to put your chest out and say I'm number one or I'm the daddy now and Rice very much with Noble finishing up has stepped up at West Ham and is very much one of the leaders and has acted that way this year without a shadow of a doubt so I think this one is a very interesting one would he like to go to a Liverpool City or Chelsea I would say 100% and Chelsea he was obviously there before as a kid and was a great mate, mate with Nathan Mount um Liverpool would probably be afraid of the 100 million price tag, but would they be interested? Yeah. I would say so, without a shadow of a doubt, but I think the price tag will take them out. And at the moment, Rodri's there running the show at City, so I can't see it happening. But as I said, if I was a buddy or whatever, I'd almost say, listen, I'd uh, like come in at the ground floor at United. I'm not saying they're back, and I'm not saying they're going to come back, 
But if you wanted to move and try and step up into the big boys, they might be the best bet because there's plenty of spaces there because midfield is so devoid of any real talent in that team at the minute, in my opinion, like in his role. Um, and if you come in at the ground up, you could be there before it really kicks in and obviously be there from the start with Ten Hag. But do you take the risk of not really being involved in in um, European football for a year or two? Because I think that's going to be a big draw for, for him because obviously he got a great taste of it this year. Does he want to do it again with West Ham? I, I, did they miss out again or are they in the Conference League, lad? Sorry. Who? West Ham? I th- I think uh, West Ham. Yeah, I think they're Conference League. Yeah, so he got a taste of that so he'll definitely want more of that and obviously would want to get the Champions League so maybe that's what might put him off the likes of the United but he's in a very interesting conundrum because I would give him one more season at West Ham at the, at, like if he goes this year I wouldn't have an issue but I'd say listen mate after the end of this year you've got to go otherwise no disrespect you'll end up like Mark Noble and stuck with West Ham for your career because what will happen is <laughs> no but what will happen is City will do what they're doing uh, Chelsea will end up upgrading others, other players and Liverpool will end up upgrading other players now I don't think he'll go there but that's the conundrum like if you go now you have a chance as I said to get into the ground floor of United or is there a move with one or two of the others potentially the, of the Chelsea this this more Chelsea obviously with the new owners have plenty of money and buddy him up with his pal and keep makes him mouth sweet as well Chelsea could be the more likely and they're in a better position than United but Chelsea and United will be the two most likely but uh you, st- you stick or twist for another year and potentially miss the boat out on the real move that you might want and that's why it's an interesting one for me with Royce this year okay. he has to move lads like Declan Royce has to move I mean to stay mm-hmm. there now is Harry Kane-esque he's going to win yeah. nothing nothing of no he'll never win a Premier League he'll never win a top level Europa you know, or European uh, sorry Champions League he might win a Europa League who knows but that will be his fire that will be his ceiling if he has serious aspirations on being a top-level player, playing Champions League, top, top of his game, he's got to get out of West Ham. Um, and if I were him, I would get out this summer because, as you said, Dave, quite rightly, the minute that price tag keeps going up and up Sancho-esque, he becomes ruled out of moves. So Man United would be an ideal move for him, but he's got to get out of uh, West Ham if he ever wants to be successful as a player. OK, Neil, I'm going to stick with you on the last one, and it's uh, Raheem Sterling. and. It's. I mean, there's been soft rumours of a link to Arsenal, um, but have a think about him, Neil. He's been in and out of this, and I know they rotate at Manchester City, but he's been in and out of this Manchester City team. Hasn't been firing at all cylinders. Is he a player that needs to stick with Manchester City? Do Manchester City want to keep him? Because it's, I think his contract is running down. And, and the other side of things, is he one of those players that if he leaves Manchester City that you could see him fading into the Newcastle United, you know, distance and, and maybe, you know, collecting a few bob and, and that's the end of his career? What what way do you see his path? Um, first and foremost, and I think City are probably the only club maybe in the world that can do what they do. And what I mean is, look at Gundogan this year. He was unbelievable last year. Got so many important goals frozen out of the side they bring in Jack Grealish who I think was originally um, to, to give Sterling some competition and maybe out Sterling and all of a sudden 
you know, he doesn't get in the bloody side and Jesus holds on to the right side. Mares, he was the same, frozen out, all of a sudden comes back in. And then the biggest example I can give you is Bernardo Silva. He was frozen out and whinging every year because he is a whinger. I want to leave and all of a sudden he's a big, big, big part player for City this year. Pep is the only guy that can keep these guys happy and then you could be, I'm not saying a year in the wilderness, but a couple of months in the wilderness and then all of a sudden come back in at the top level. So I don't think he'd be too worried or I wouldn't worry for him because next year could just be another year under Pep and he could be the top guy again. He could be the, the lapdog again. Um, if he was to leave, I would actually worry more because the profile of the club that would take him maybe the money that he would have to be on and the expectation that he would have. I think he did really well two years ago. He was scoring goals, setting up goals. I think it was as rich as staying a form. Um, and he looked a real player. You just couldn't understand at that time why City would go for Grealish ahead of Kane because they needed a Kane. They didn't need a Grealish. They had Sterling, they had Foden, they had Mares. They had an embarrassment to riches. So he needs to choose very carefully now because once you walk away from a team like City, in my opinion, I think the only way is down. You know, you're you're not going to hit the heights in a Chelsea or a Liverpool. Well, you won't go back to Liverpool, but you know, an Arsenal. If you went to Arsenal, I'd fear for him. I'd fear that he'd just be another player that fell from a height and can never get back up to that stature. So this is a big, big decision for him. If it was me, my gut would say stick rather than twist. Stay with City because Pep can revitalise players within a season. And all of a sudden, you're the top dog again. Dave, your thoughts on Raheem? Yeah, I I'd be fearful if he if he used to leave, and for any any player who's to leave, somebody like City or anyone's at the top, it, as soon as you get there, it's not going to be the same unless you have that real desire to prove something wrong. And I don't think there is any kind of discontent there. So I'd be and as soon as you said it, Roy, it's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, will he just start to slowly fade? Because how oh, was that my that's my uh, that's my time done on the big stage, and and, and it can happen very easy to players. And as and Neil rightly said, everyone's been in and out of the side. There's no reason why he can't come back. And he's 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 still got a lot of he's still got a lot of goals this year, and he still does a fine job at England. And like like he came on in leaps and bounds at City, and he has to remember that. Like he was always a promising player at Liverpool, and showed a bit of promise. But when he left, we were kind of going, ah, money hungry, this or that and the other. He's not that great. And then all of a sudden. Pep turn him into a, a proper winger where you're like shit. That's so that's what he can do. Um, so he needs to remember that as well, and it can easily happen again. So he doesn't really completely write them off. He might let them put him out in the cold. So you know, um, you know, money wise, I think he's more than half, like, comfortable. I don't think you have to worry about getting massive contracts. But do you want a few more trophies and do you want to do your part when it when it when it matters? That's what I'd be thinking. Or do you want to just go back and play regular football? And if you're happy with that, that's fine. But you're not going to hit the same heights once you leave somebody like Man City, that's for sure. No, uh, in total agreement. It'd be very interesting. Stay, yeah. Even if you've one year left in your contract, mm-hmm. stay, play it out, see where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's only a win-win then at the end of it. You know, you get a big move mm-hmm. then, uh, maybe your final move after that, but it'll be a big one, one way or another. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Of course, next week is the Nations League and there's a hell of a lot of games going on. And there's also a a big game between Scotland and Ukraine to get through to the World Cup finals. I think that's the same. Speaking of which, Roy, uh, speaking of which, if I was Steve Clark, I'd be telling Andy Robertson to put the beer down. You have a match on Wednesday. (laughs) 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 And every time I seen him, I was like, 
Steve Clark will be spitting fire. You know? <laughs> yeah, what they chucked off the bus with the bears the other night, wasn't he? Yeah, Kieran Tierney be like, go on, enjoy yourself, mate. You know, you deserve it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that game's only on, I think it's on Wednesday night. Am, am I right? Wednesday. Wednesday yes, and then the finals yeah. at the weekend. So, yeah, so do you. Um, and he looked a bit tired. Now he looked a bit tired in his interview. And ironically enough, um, Calvin Harris is DJing on the actual bus with them, and he played his part in getting them on. And yeah, let, and he's got a cardboard cut out of Trent Alexander Arnold with him, and he's lifting up every now. So he's enjoyed himself today. So as I said, Steve <laughs> Clark could be like, oh Christ. What, what kind of Andy Robertson are we going to get tomorrow? Yeah, let's hope he's uh, uh, he's, he's taking it easy. He has the day off on the Monday and, and joins them on the <laughs> Tuesday or something like that. Uh, but yeah, anyhow, big yeah. games in the Nations League. So we will be looking at that next week or at the end of the week. Um, and I know for the Republic of Ireland, there's a huge amount of games in a short amount of time. So uh, we'll discuss those as they go along. OK, thanks very much for your time, Dave and Neil. And for you out there listening... Really appreciate it. Thanks.